Spoiler alert, this story does not have a happy ending. Today on Garnet and Great. When that ball's kicked, I want them right on the line because the rules say that we can get right here when that ball's kicked. I hate to see guys that are back off the line because that's two yards that we could be further down the field. That's Joe Avizano when he was the Dallas Cowboys' colorful special teams coach for over a decade and with three Super Bowl rings to show for it. But way before that, Joe was an anchor on FSU's offensive line in the Seminoles' breakout year of 1964. Yeah, that was back when you could actually be an anchor at 6'1", 225. But Joe was tough right from the start, a New York City kid straight out of Yonkers. He went to high school in Miami, then recruited by Bill Peterson to FSU, where Joe, along with his roommate, Steve Tinsey, plus Fred Boletnikoff and a team full of guys with something to prove, put the Seminoles on the college football map. We were lucky enough to speak to Joe over a decade ago. I was very fortunate, I feel that way, to, to have been part of probably the the real initial success of, uh, of a school like that, uh, Florida State, and Bill Peterson uh, hired incredible coaches uh, for his staff, and we just, by good fortune, ended up with a very good group of players that uh, were really tight personally and uh, physically talented enough to uh, make a mark for ourselves. And and along the way, we found that we had one of the most uh, entertaining and colorful coaches that uh, you could ever have. His uh, misuse of the English language was classic, and we, we looked forward to every meeting because we never knew what we were going to hear. And the thing about Bill Peterson stories, the great thing about Bill Peterson stories is you never have to exaggerate. Just tell the truth, and it's already a good story. Do you ever feel that uh, Bill doesn't get enough credit for helping to build the foundation of the program? Oh, probably not, uh, because of the tremendous success that Bobby Bowden has had. And, and plus, Coach Bowden was an assistant coach when we were there coaching receivers and so he's been part of things for so long uh, and he's had incredible success. The focus on Florida State coaching wise is all Bobby Bowden but Bill Peterson is the one that put it on the map. Now Bobby Bowden has taken it to a whole other level but but Bill Peterson put together quite a group of athletes. He was you know, in a lot of ways an innovator to do what he was doing offensively, throwing the ball like he did in college football. There was very few people doing that. He had a lot of success with it, and I, I just uh, I think he deserves a lot of credit. Well, what do you remember about the young Bobby Bowden, who was an assistant in the mid-60s there? Mainly the, the fact that he was part of an incredibly talented coaching staff uh, with uh, Don James, legendary college coach, uh, John Coda, who uh, went on to be head coach of Wisconsin, and uh, Don Powell was an offensive line coach when we were there that was one of the best that, that, that I've ever uh, witnessed. Um, I just think that Coach Bowden was another example of Bill Peterson. To me, his greatest quality was his ability to pick assistant coaches. 
that was evidenced by his initial staff when I was there, and then subsequent staffs of the Joe Gibbs and the Dan Henning and the Parcells and people like that that he that he put together after we left. So he he did a fantastic job, and Bobby Bowden was was all part of it. Just another fresh, new, young, uh, up-and-coming coach, and, and Peterson had a great ability to pick him. What was it about you guys who were not that much heavier than around 200 pounds back in the mid-60s? Was it coaching? What was it that made us such a strong offensive line to keep Steve Tenzi's uh, jersey, for the most part, uh, white and clean? What we were doing was uh, ahead of its time, in a sense. There wasn't very many people doing it. And up front, we were we were coached very well by Don Powell, but the bottom line was we were doing some things that were uh, new, and therefore we gave people trouble because of that. But then also, to me, we we had a great combination of uh, Steve Kenzie and Fred Blitnikoff. Uh, what they did just made a mark that uh, not too many uh, people. Uh, were able to uh, match during that time. Since that time, uh, people have uh, learned and uh, implemented offensive systems that produce wonderful quarterbacks and receivers and so forth. But those two uh, set the bar. Their records in that Gator Bowl game held for many, many years. You know, you don't do it without really good players. But we did have something new that people hadn't seen a lot of before. And you match that with quality coaching and a good caliber of athlete. And, and shoot, we, we just hit it and had a bunch of fun doing it. It seems the game was probably less intense in some ways back then. It seemed there was more fun. There was maybe less pressure, although Coach Pete could be pretty intense, too. Oh, Coach Pete was uh, very intense uh, about his desire to win, his, his willingness to work, uh, his willingness to be inv- inventive. He, he was... Uh, totally dedicated to the passing game and, and learning as much about it and creating a something that, that uh, made a niche that he could recruit to uh, to attract quarterbacks and receivers and so forth to, to his style of game. But the game was simpler then. It wasn't any less intense physically, although the athletes certainly are bigger, stronger, faster. It was a very physical game. But I believe we were able to have more fun and enjoy the experience uh, a little more than probably uh, the scrutiny of TV and the scrutiny of the NCAA and the scrutiny of, of alumni and, and all the things that have built to such a high level that makes college football fascinating. You know, each era has its own uniqueness and we were able to enjoy each other and enjoy the experience. Uh, I couldn't have enjoyed uh, the college experience any more than I did at Florida State. Well, Joe, what do you remember about the the all-important win the first time you beat the Gators in November of 64? It, it was just uh, an incredible experience because at that time, uh, you know, Florida didn't want to play Florida State. Florida always had some of the finest athletes in the United States, but they never could win anything. And they didn't want to play uh, the upstart girls' school over in Tallahassee because at that time when, when I went there, shoot, Florida State had only been playing oh, 12, 13 years, 14 years or something like that. 
the the state legislature made made Florida play us. And that game there at at home in Tallahassee, I I don't know why I remember pregame in the locker room. Avery Sumner just got up and a kind of appealed to the team. We needed to win this game because he, he thought he could get a good grade in a certain course if we won the game and he needed grades. It kind of kind of just made everybody laugh and went out and we played well. We, we just played good. We were we were a good football team there. Uh, you, you know, that game was extremely memorable, but, but as much as any, the Kentucky game earlier that year when, when they came to town after uh, having some big wins, you know, at that time we had the uh, the seven magnificent, mag- magnificent seven up there, defensively, where they shaved, the, they all shaved their heads, and uh, shut out a few people. And Kentucky was coming to town, and uh, I remember the coaches saying, "Well, if they shut out Kentucky, they'd shave their head." And uh, by gosh, we had them, we we killed them, and we had them shut out until uh, right at the end of the game. And our starters wanted to go back in and uh, keep the shutout. It wouldn't have mattered in the game. It didn't matter. That was a big game for us, and of course the Florida, Florida game put us on the map statewide, and Florida now had to pay attention to. Well, tell us a little bit about 1965. You no longer had Tenzi and Bolitnikov. That was your senior year, and it wasn't as successful. Shoot, I have trouble remembering what I did yesterday, no less uh, 65 season, but it wasn't. Uh, it, I don't know the exact record, but it was 500 or something like that. No, nah, it didn't leave a bad taste. You're, you're disappointed. You know, any time you're involved in keeping score and, and you, you don't win enough games, you're disappointed. You know, you lose Tenzi, you lose Blitnikov. Players win games. And, and if you don't have quite the, the same caliber of player, then then your chances of winning are not as great. And, and that's what happened to us in 65. And in 64, it didn't matter where we played, home, way, uh, we knew we were going to beat anybody we played. And, uh, if we didn't, that was a huge surprise to us. 65, we weren't the same team, so I don't even think twice about it. I think more about the 64 season when we made our mark and nobody can take it away from us. And I've always had tremendous pride in that. Shoot, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Thinking back to those 64, 65 years again, what what's your single best memory of that time with the Seminoles? I would make it an all-encompassing thing. Uh, it was the group of people I was with. Sure, I, I enjoy the memory of a of a wonderful '64 season, but it was the journey that that I enjoyed and the people because we all came in uh, me and Freddie and Steve and George Delisandro and, and uh, Spooner and Gavin and, and Mackenzie and Wes and Edwards. Uh, we all came in in Coach Peterson's first recruiting class, and and we just. Uh, we just had a, a, a bond about us as as a freshman team. Uh, we were cocky. We we believed in each other. We liked each other, and we just knew that we could be good. And and that the journey with those guys, you know, winning the Gator Bowl that's kind of the destination. But if you don't enjoy the journey, then then you really can't enjoy the rest of it. And it was a it was a special time for all of us. Uh, I mean, my gosh, I move into my room and wait to see who my roommate's going to be. And, and it's this gangly six foot five quarterback from Cincinnati Elder High School, which I'd never heard of. And then on top of that, he was uh, an absolute Elvis Presley freak and had every record, knew every word, uh, 
could imitate Elvis Presley. And I had to deal with that until finally he got married. But I loved it. It was just part of all the different personalities coming together and enjoying each other. Uh, when I think back, I think back about those people. You graduated and you went on to the pros you played for in New England. And was it a year or two years or what was your pro playing career like? Enjoyable, short, uh, and you know, very much a, a finality to my uh, football playing career. Uh, kind of a bridge the gap between uh, college football and going into coaching. And playing with the, the Patriots was uh, a thrill. We played at Fenway Park at that time. That was exciting because I was a huge baseball fan, and this was in the American Football League when they were the Boston Patriots. So I enjoyed that for a couple of years, and then I, I wasn't good enough to uh, have a long career, but I was good enough to be around for a little while. And then, uh, like everybody, you, you go and you find a job. I drifted into coaching, and I never intended on coaching, never thought one time about it. Now, I must have liked it because I've done it a long time. After his brief NFL career, it was back to Tallahassee, where Joe broke into college coaching with his old coach Bill Peterson as a graduate assistant on the FSU staff. And that led to assistant jobs at Iowa State, Pittsburgh, and Tennessee. Then Oregon State hired Joe as head coach from 1980 through 1984. And in 1990, Jimmy Johnson made him special teams coach of the Dallas Cowboys, where he stayed for 12 years. He won NFL Special Teams Coach of the Year three times, the all-time record, and his squads became one of the Cowboys' biggest weapons. We asked Joe how coaching special teams became his specialty. When I first started coaching in college, I worked for Johnny Majors. Uh, Johnny Majors was the head coach at Iowa State, Pittsburgh, where we won a national championship, and then Tennessee, and a total of 11 years. And, and he was a real fundamentalist, and he forced uh, forced us to learn every aspect of the game. And So when I had the opportunity to join Jimmy Johnson with the Cowboys in 1990, I had been an offensive line coach my whole career and offensive coordinator, and, but I uh, had always been involved in the kicking game, so I, I felt comfortable taking that job. Then I was just thrilled uh, to have just by chance bounced into a situation that in a few short years was going to take us uh, to three championships in four-year period. First team ever to do that. And I just rode the coattails of some great players and, and did whatever I could to help. And so I credit Coach Majors for developing me into a, a well-rounded coach that felt comfortable taking on a different title. Joe's impact on the Cowboys went far beyond what you'd expect from a special teams coach. In fact, he became a celebrity of sorts in Dallas, where he was known as Coach Joe. We talked to his son, Tony Avizano, about how his dad became nearly as well-known as the Cowboys' head coach. I think uh, I think a lot of that was by design. He loved, you know, he loved the spotlight. He loved what he was doing. He was very much aware of being front and center. But he, he really did love coaching for the Cowboys. I know that's something that, that had Jerry ever called, he, he would have said yes before Jerry was even done asking him. He loved his players and the relationships that, uh, that he forged with you know players, coaches, and he just did everything 100%. Um, there was no, there was no dabbling when it came to my dad. He was either 100% or 100% in or 100% out. Joe moved on from the Cowboys in the coaching turnover when Bill Parcells took over as head coach. 
but he stayed in Dallas as head coach of the Desperados of the Arena League. And the next stop, special teams coach for Oakland. Then a move nobody saw coming, including Joe. Joe became head coach of Milan of the Italian League of American Football. I know he still wanted to coach, um, but just the opportunity to go home, uh, obviously being an Italian family, to go and spend time in Italy. The time requirements uh, for the coaching in Italy weren't like, you know, they were in the NFL. It wasn't, you know, seven days a week, 365. Um, And so time for, for him and my mom to enjoy Italy and go back over there and spend time and see all the sites, that was a big part of it. I don't know that he would not have gone had it been in another country. Uh, but the fact that it was in Italy was a was a huge, huge part of why he went to do it. But the Italian coaching job wasn't always a fun one for Joe. Here he is trying to put a positive spin on a game where his team had just blown a big lead. Uh, anytime you lose, it's, it's tough. It, it should hurt. But when you lose the big rival game, then it hurts even more. And we have a young team that's that's improving. But when you improve, you have to learn how to win. American football in Italy is very competitive. It's our job as players and coaches to continue to find ways to get better. That was Joe's final interview. He died a short time later, suffering a heart attack after a treadmill workout before a team practice. It was April 2012, and he was 68 years old. Here's Tony Avizano again on the challenges of coaching football in a foreign country. Uh, when you're talking about the culture shock and just finding something as simple as ketchup uh, was something that they took a picture, uh, him and a couple of the American players. They were allowed, I believe, three Americans um, on each team. Uh, and then trying to coach with the language barrier, you know, was a huge challenge. Uh, but he loved it over there, was enjoying it. Uh, And my mom uh, had gotten to spend quite a bit of time with him over there. She had just gotten back when he passed. You know, while you were around, he probably didn't get back to Tallahassee and reconnect with his FSU roots, right? Or did he? Uh, We had made a couple of trips, uh, again, with my grandparents still being in Miami. Uh, We we drove a couple of times. And one of the times, just the two of us together, and he, he took me to see all the, you know, all the spots on campus and the stadium and the baseball stadium and all of that. Um, And then would go to scout from time to time. Uh, at the Florida school. So, I mean, he didn't get to spend a ton of time there, um, but always visited any chance that he got. And he loved FSU uh, and the time he spent there as well. What did he tell you about his days there? Uh, A lot of of stuff about uh, teammates. Uh, Freddie Blitnikoff was uh, a teammate. I always gave him a hard time that that there was no way he was good enough to play at FSU. Um, You know, he told me tons of stories. Uh, of bowl games and stuff. And again, he loved his time at Florida State and 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 continued to cheer for him, uh, you know, through the rest of his life. What is your favorite Joe Avizano story? The one that probably comes to mind and when people ask me about him the most, um, when they won their first Super Bowl uh, was in the Rose Bowl um, against the Bills. And it had only been, uh, I want to say, six years prior to that, that he had been fired from Oregon State. And six years later to be standing in the middle of the Rose Bowl as, you know, part of a world championship team. Uh, so I got to walk out on the field with him after with the fireworks and the whole thing. And he was really just kind of quiet 
and I almost had to shake him and, and ask him if he realized that they had just won the Super Bowl. And uh, just kind of the look he gave me that I don't think it had really set in yet. And then uh, he teared up and again, just standing in the middle of the Rose Bowl with 100,000 people in the stands and being a world champion finally hit him. Uh, and I'll never forget that look on his face and looking up at the fireworks and the whole thing. And it was just so awesome to see him go uh, through everything that he had been through and to be a part of such a special team and stand in the middle of, uh, you know, in the middle of winning a Super Bowl was really awesome. Garnet and Great is produced by Rich Holden, FSU Class of 71. Thanks for listening. Until next time, go knows.